Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Just the Facts with me, Alex Zane, the podcast that takes a journey through the movie CV of a different actor or filmmaker every week to uncover some fascinating facts about their career. For all the latest news and updates about upcoming guests, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at JTFpod and that is also where you can get in touch, should you wish. Thanks to everyone who did wish to get in touch after last week's David Tui interview Christian, Jose, award wieners. I agree. There needs to be a fourth Riddick movie. It has to happen. I hope it does. Don't forget, if you want to watch the video interview of this episode, you can see it in all its Technicolor glory on our YouTube channel. That comes out the Friday after the pod is released. All right then, this week's guest. A great time to speak to this man because he's just moved from in front of the camera to behind it as well. His first movie in the director's chair, prison drama Ayer, starring Craig Fairbrass and Jason Fleming, is coming out later this year. We have a bit of a chat about that because before then, he's got the beautiful-looking romantic drama About Us, which he's written and stars in, shot in Italy, comes out in the US at the end of this week, the UK at the end of the month, just getting that right in my head as I say it out loud. That is correct. Um, have a look at the trailer. It uh, came out like 48 hours ago now, and it looks beautiful. It looks intriguing. He's very proud of it. He's had some amazing reactions from people who've read the script. We talk a lot about that. But yeah, About Us, his brand new movie coming out soon. We also talk about his appearance in... 
probably one of the great TV shows, one of the most respected TV shows at the time, the most expensive TV show ever made, Band of Brothers, that he he worked with with um, he worked on with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, and the experience of making that. We have a chat about that, and obviously, because I'm a massive Queen fan, we talk about him being the first ever person to play Freddie Mercury in the video for Queen's The Miracle when he was 13 years old in 1989. Yeah, I chew his ear off about that a bit. Anyway, it was an absolute pleasure having him on the show. So please welcome to Just The Facts, Ross McCall. Amazing business. So where are you? I'm in a little place called Guruk, which is outside of Glasgow. So I'm back in the, uh, in the motherland. Nice. So you, 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 your dad still lives up there? Family still up there? The old man's still up here. Got a lot of, uh, a lot of aunts and uncles up here. Um, I sort of try and make the trip up maybe once a year. Um, and my dad won't mind me saying this. Of course, it's lovely to come and see him, but the football plays a big, big part in getting <laughs> me back into the homeland. So, you know, we've got a couple of big games this week. So hence the reason I was like, I've got a week off. Up the road. Right. So this is, I, I'll, I'll come clean with you right now. I'm not a massive football fan. I like international football. I'm a football tourist. Watch the, watch the Euros recently. But as far as club football goes, I don't know much, but I know that you are a Celtic fan. It is rumoured that I do support the Celtic. Yeah. So I only know this because of the crossover between your love of football and your career on screen, which is the, the famous photo of you and Kiefer Sutherland on 24 oh, Live wow. Another Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Celtic had just released their new away kit and um, Kiefer sort of... Look, I, I, I preface this by saying, as actors... If you have like, uh, you know, sometimes we do it with our charity cases as well. But, you know, especially if you do have a sporting uh, situation in your life, you tend to try and uh, because everyone on set hears about it. If there's a big European game, I'm trying to get out of work early or I'm trying to mm. change the schedule or I'm trying to do something. Really, <laughs> not really. Um, and they're like, uh, they're like, what's this big deal? And, you know, you go into it. And so someone like Kiefer and like many others that I've worked with show an interest and obviously know about the team. But I then, you know, throw him in the shirt and let's be mm -hmm. honest, the press pick it up and go, oh, Kiefer's a Celtic fan. I doubt he could spell <laughs> Celtic. So... You know, it's it's understandable that uh, I can get some famous folks in the hoops, but realistically, I don't think they could tell your player's name. You're, you're you're building support for the team. Not that not that they know it. Not that they need it. Rather, I don't. They, I'm I've I am aware of Celtic, so they clearly are big enough to have have entered my orbit. Yeah, but, they're, you know. they're doing all right without us, but for sure, <laughs> it sort of does. You know, it helps amp it up. It helps. You know, trust me, one side of Glasgow was very happy that uh, Jack Bauer was, you know, running around in the uh, in the hoops. <laughs> so have you ever I was talking to um, uh, another actor about this recently. He's a, a huge Liverpool fan. And he was saying that he's even gone to the extremes because, again, don't understand like the love for football, but appreciate it. Appreciate do appreciate it. He, he has an, an inner ear. So that like literally he can stand just behind camera until he's required at the last minute to have the games playing in his ear. Have you gone to that extent? 
I've gone to an extent where I've got a computer set up next to Video Village, which is where, uh, for those who don't know, where the cameras are, are rolling and the director and the DP and probably the script supervisor and way too many producers all sit in their director's chairs around a tented couple of screens. I've definitely had computer screens at Video Village open, silenced, but with the game on. <laughs> You've never ruined someone's take though, because I mean that would be the worst, right? When they, if what if Celtic scored and it was it was your co-star's big dramatic moment, it was there, it was their scene, and they literally they were nailing it. It was the take, and then there's you, yes, yeah, I'd ruin the take, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll take them down, take them at the knees. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Obviously, there needs to be a bit of a bit of respect there, and um, you know, it's usually if it's my close up, and you know, most of the time I'm. I'm in the States when the games have been played. So like the big European games tend to be sort of mid morning. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, it's usually at the beginning of the day while people are still friendly and open to the idea of having some, you know, <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> so that's nice that you make it back to, uh, to Scotland for the football. I mean, I love you. The Glasgow, I, I've been to Glasgow before. I, I've sort of spent more time actually on the, on the very West coast. So, um, Aaron, Sky, Malay, Arasag, Oban, all, all up there every summer. That was like, that was our family holiday. That's so oh, beautiful. My mum, my mum was raised in Sky. So I know, uh, I haven't been back to Sky since I was a kid, but you know, I was old enough to realize its beauty. Hmm. So that's the thing about Scotland is it is a, a stunning, stunning country. The cities are the cities. Glasgow hmm. has many charms. Uh, it also has, you know, many streets. You don't want to drive down. <laughs> Um, same, same as the, uh, the capital, you know, Edinburgh is the same. So Scotland has absolute beauty. Some of it needs a good lick of paint. Up, you know? So this is a visit. So then where's home for you? Are you based in London, LA these days? You tell me, man. It's, it's it, honestly, even in, in my own uh, personal life, we're always confused where we live. Uh, we, I like to say champagne problems. We're, we're sort of based, I've been in LA for 20 years. Right. So my home is still LA. However, the past few years, just with relationship and, and life and stuff, I spend an awful lot of time in Italy and mm. I spend an awful lot of time in London. So it's like the three places now. Um, well, I want to talk to you about that, obviously, because, I mean, this is a fortuitous timing uh, for us to sit down for this chat because I know the trailer for About Us, uh, your latest film, uh, just dropped yesterday online, 19 hours ago when I looked at it. Uh, so uh, that's listen, great that, news. Yeah, that's that's just me at this point. The bigger push will come probably at the end of the week where, you know, yeah. all the big hitters will start throwing it out to the millions of viewers. So, yeah, we want to get as many eyes on it as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're certainly going to talk about it because uh, it sounds like a fascinating project. It's obviously the first thing uh, that you've written that's uh, your first written feature uh, mm-hmm. as a, a scriptwriter. But you're going to have to entertain me because I'm sure of all the things you've ever talked about in interviews, this is something that I- I'm worried that you're going to be like, oh, this, uh, you might be bored talking about it, but I come at this with good reason. Yeah. So this is a hell of a fact to start our chat on, which is, at age 13, your acting debut was playing Freddie Mercury in the video for Queen's The Miracle. Fact or fiction? Sort of both. It wasn't my acting debut. It's certainly a fact. I, I played, I was the first person to play Freddie Mercury. I was 13 years old, but that was probably about my fifth, sixth or seventh professional gig. I'd already, okay. uh, I'd already been working since I was 11. 
Wow. So you start at 11 and this is okay. Okay. Uh, the reason that I feel justified in talking about this, do you get asked about this a lot? All the time. Yeah. So I'm coming at this from the angle that I was 10 years old when you were doing that in 1989. And I exclusively listen to queen i was like in my own world i was the the biggest queen fan that ever existed were you a fan beforehand i was and and to be honest with you i think that was when it sort of sat in as a kid everything sort of brushes off your shoulders and it um it set me up in a great way later in life that you know i'm very lucky i get to work with some very renowned known faces um and it set me up at an early age because I've I've never been quote unquote starstruck, you know. So it's it's been a lovely way to to sort of jump into that with the with the Queen video. Um, but it was the first time I think where I saw both my parents. They were excited that I was working as a kid, but also you know they they were they were great parents, so they they took their time with it and just sort of let me settle into it and didn't make a huge deal out of it, which was great you know it kept me humbled and my feet on the ground and with a queen video that was the one where they were both sort of fighting to come and chaperone at the set and i always remember going why are they both making such a big deal out of this um and you know we're in a hotel just outside elstree studios and <laughs> we're there mum and dad are there they're having, you know them and the other parents are all having their knees up and 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 talking about it so i guess at that point of course i knew who queen was i also had to study them you know i had to study freddie so i was watching hours upon hours of 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 videotape so i was seeing them playing a sellout stadiums throughout the world so i knew they were rock gods uh very aware of their music i think it was you know the beatles and queen were the two that were played in in my household as a kid so yeah i knew who they were and uh like you i was also a big fan so and I was going to ask. So you did obviously because you are spot on with Freddie's iconic moves in that video. So I, I was I was going to say, did you just sort of go, all right, I've I've watched it. I'm going to riff this. I think I know what I'm doing. Or did you have a choreographer there going, this is how you pull off that? Nah, I mean it's really kind of you to say. I mean, look, I've, uh, that video pops up throughout my life all the time. I'll be on set and I'll hear some sound mixer at the desk, start playing the music and, you know, and people, you know, so it, it's a beautiful love for me. I think it's hysterical as a 45 year old man to sort of remember that and go back and look at it. And I'm very proud of it. Um, and, uh, and that story's followed me for years. I, I, I remember roommating with a, a dear pal of mine in LA for a while. And that was like the move when we were single and young, and you know, troublemakers, but we would, you know, meet a couple of girls and we'd end up hanging out. He would start showing that video like that was the closer, <laughs> which is weird. If you really think about it, the weird closer. But it was like, you know, and it was this look of shock and awe and horror. And then, wow, that's really cool from these impressionable young <laughs> um, But uh, But uh, yeah, you know, the, the it was never choreographed. No, in fact, the whole video is completely ad-libbed I guess um I had you know I was flinging myself around the floor like a like a like a rag doll I guess in the auditions and then I had to rehearse with a band so I was there with Brian and John and Roger uh Freddie wasn't there at the uh, the rehearsals um and so it was me and the band and you know at that point I I knew the signature moves you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I knew the one where Freddie would get a mic and he would sort of hold it and he'd sort of do this weird like 
like, you know, crab yeah. walkers. I don't even know what it was called. Um, so there was a few signatures. I was like, all right, I know. And he flings his arm down. He puts his arm, you know, and he stay, you know, there's a few signature ones that I would do. And then, yeah, we just shot for two days and they were just, you know, we'll just keep repeating it, repeating it and change it up. But yeah, there was never a choreograph. Uh, and you met, I, you no. obviously met Freddie at the, uh, at the actual record though. Cause I mean, you're there on screen yeah. with, the, I, with the, I, I, the legend. I I met him right before, uh, you know, I think in the last rehearsal he came in to watch. Um, so I'd already met him and yeah, they, all of them couldn't have been sweeter. Yeah. I met them, um, at the, uh, I hosted the, the premiere for Bohemian Rhapsody when they, that came out. And so I got to meet, uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor, which was for me, it was like, this is, this is amazing. Polar opposites in terms of like, (laughs) like Roger Taylor was on and off stage as quickly as he could be. He, he came on and his people went, hey, you got three questions, uh, two questions. Sorry. You got two questions with Roger. And I was like, okay, cool. So he walks up and I'm like, how are you? And he's like, yeah, I'm well. And then I start asking my first question. Right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I got into my, I got onto what was my second question. He was like, actually two. I'm like, wait. So I guess a tip for anyone interviewing Roger Taylor, how are you counts as a question? Absolutely. Yeah. Brian May, on the other hand, loved it. Literally, just chatting away. Couldn't 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 spend more time on stage. Brilliant. Roger to me was also he, he was like the you know he he, he was a real rock star. And as a yes. thirteen year old kid, I loved this dude wearing sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, he had, you know his sort of wavy hair. He was always you know he was always talking to the ladies, having a good time. I was like, <laughs> this guy, this guy knows how it's mm. done. Brian was just a gentleman, just a complete and utter sweetheart knows, you know, that they hit the lottery and, um, you know, yeah, it was a good bunch. Yeah. Roger, like you, Roger was the one I wanted to be. So, that, I mean, you touched on this because I was going to say, it, I wondered if it did help, you know, having, obviously it was like a music video and you were just, you were kind of having fun freestyling, but having something like that, because you worked consistently after that, like you kept, you know, you had like little parts in this, that, like the British Empire and, uh, and the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was in love with Chris Barry from Red Dwarf. And, and so I watched the British Empire and, you know, age sort of seven. I was like, this is funny. I think. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're, you're a weird seven year old. I don't know. Even, even me, but like, I think somebody like in, in this world of social media, a lot of that gets dug up and people will yeah. send me stuff. And I, you know, I haven't seen it in 30 years or whatever it is. And I'm just like, God, I wish I wish that could get buried, but you know, <laughs> it's part of our scar tissue, man. Right, right. But I mean, I guess like a lot of this must have come from when you, if you're like a, a casting agent, you got like a CV of like various kids in front of you, and one of the kids is like played Freddie Mercury in mm. Queen's The Miracle. I'd be like, yeah, get him in. I'm, I'd be, I'd like, I'd like to meet that kid. Yeah, bring him in. Let's see what he does. <laughs> yeah. So. The big thing, I mean, I mean, you've, you, obviously there's various things we're going to talk about, and I guess the big thing is always the most recent thing for anyone. But, I mean, one of the big things you did was Band of Brothers in 2001, which yep. uh, is still regarded as like one of the iconic TV shows, the most expensive TV show ever made at the time. I think it was more than like $10 million an episode, which these days is like, yeah, that's normal. Game of Thrones, you know, The Crown, that's what they that's cost. Commercials, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but back then it was this this huge show. So, did you think at the time when this uh, this appeared in your orbit, wow, this is this is big. This is going to be big. Yeah, it's funny. I mean that that question's been raised a couple of times, and a lot of the boys all have various answers. You know, I've I've, I've been doing a lot of work for various foundations in the states, 
um, mainly to do with World War II veterans and, and you know, historical sites and all that kind of jazz. Um, but the question is is often raised, and there's two or three of us that do a lot of these panels and Q and A's, and most of the guys would say no. Um, and I'm always one of the few that goes against that grain. Like I knew exactly what this show was. I knew it from day one. I knew it when I got a script. I knew it when I read the book. Um, the research that I was putting in, I just knew we were on something special. And of course you have, you know, arguably the two biggest influences in Hollywood. You know, you have uh, Mr. Hayes and Mr. Spielberg on board and, you know, history has sort of proven that they don't mess it up. So, um, yeah, I was, I was fully aware, but I was also, and again, a lot of the guys did this too, which made the show special. We were fully aware of the legacy of the, of the real men. Mm. So even though you're doing a Hollywood show, essentially, you know, the millions of dollars they're spending, I think it was, I, I think it was 12 million pounds an episode. It's about 15 million, $16 million an ep. Um, we knew the money that was going into it. We knew they had the best of the best, you know, costume designers to sound mixers. I mean, we just knew that the the greatest, uh, the greatest crew and talent was involved. Um, HBO had also become this massive powerhouse, uh, especially in well in America, um, and so we knew it was just in good hands. Uh, but the legacy was was so important to us. And I knew how big that legacy was too. And I also knew, knew what, not that we had it on our shoulders, but we were, we were going to be able to reteach World War II to our generation and the generation that followed. And that was, uh, you know, not a burden. It was an honor. So yeah, I, I knew. Um, I tell you, you definitely knew. <laughs> you definitely knew. And so at what point in the process do you meet uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg? Are they there from, from the off? Well, are you, uh, do you audition for it or was it a, a done deal beforehand? No, no. Back then it was, it was everybody had to, everybody had to read. Um, and, you know, they were going through LA, New York, Chicago, um, London, Australia, you know, Sydney. Um, they were, they were fine. They were looking for actors everywhere. So everybody knew about it. Every mm-hmm. guy of my generation, everybody knew. The ones who were already, you know, famous, the ones who weren't, the ones who were working all the time. Everybody knew about Band of Brothers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the process was, and again, it's all varied. There were some guys that had to go through 10 auditions and still didn't get the job, um, you know, which is tough. Uh, I was very fortunate. I did three. Um, on my second one, I met Tom. Um, subsequently became kind of friendly with Tom. I, I, you know, he brought me over to do uh, another movie with him after Band of Brothers. So that was my first film in, in America. Um, and so, uh, you know, he wrote me a letter to get my green card. I mean, he's, he's been, I mean, he used to steal cigarettes from me on set. So I think, <laughs> I think it's payback because he did not smoke, but I think he was just around all the dudes. And so it was just this weird, you know, World War II thing. I don't know. And everybody, I remember him tapping me up for a cigarette. And I'm like, can you just buy some Marlboros on your way to the studio, governor? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah. I, don't know what's, I don't know what's funny. The fact that you, Tom, you can clearly afford cigarettes. So maybe buy your own. And also the idea of him going, no, I don't smoke, but this yeah. looks kind of, I want to hang with the boys. So yeah. can really I join? Was, it really, it really was that. It, I don't mean that in a, you know, uh, emasculating way in any stretch. <laughs> it was just like, even, even the actors, there were people that did not smoke 
that were having a cigarette. And, you know, we wouldn't, like, I wouldn't touch a cigarette now, but back then I was a heavy smoker. Everybody was. And everybody was just, you know, you know, bumming snouts all day long off everybody. And so, um, uh, so anyway, I got on great with, with him. Uh, he directed one of the episodes as well, which, you know, I had uh, prominent stuff to do. So that was fun. Uh, and Stephen was, I always, you know, people talk about creating your, your destiny and all that sort of stuff in the world right now. You know, I, I always had, and I still do, you know, I have just an inkling that I'm going to work with certain people and, and, and Steven Spielberg was one of them. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to work for Spielberg one day. And I thought it was going to be him directing me. Uh, <laughs> that, hasn't, that hasn't happened yet, but I still, you know, hold hope. Um, but yeah, met him many times. And uh, again, you know, I became a familiar face to him, which was lovely. Um, you know, I tell this story often too. Every time I see him, he'll always smile. He salutes me and says, Hey soldier. And that's either really sweet or he just can't remember my name. It's one of them. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really sweet. Hey soldier. And then we hug. And like one of, one of my greatest memories that is just a ludicrous Hollywood story was I was at the famous Culver studio shooting a film called the polar express that Tom was in. And we were this weird cartoon thing. We didn't really know what we were doing at the time, but we were there going, ah. Um, and, uh, so there was, there was Tom, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who I was a massive fan of, you know, who did all the back to the future films, Forrest mm -hmm. Gump, cast away. I mean, massive, uh, the biggest of the biggest. And so we had all the, all the Gump crew and special effects guys and all of that. Everybody was on Polar. And, uh, uh, for the first three weeks, it was just Tom and I and Bob and I was acting opposite Tom, like when he plays like five roles. So when he's like Santa Claus, I would be the kid and then we would switch and he'd be the kid and I'd be Santa Claus. And so when people say, what do you do in that movie? I'm like, I have no idea. I think I was like 10% of him. I don't know. And there were things that I would do that Tom would then take and mimic and put it into the film. And so it was sort of like this weird, I was, I was basically just, I don't know, being his scene partner, I guess. Mm. Um, but it was a magical experience. And it's just me, him, Bob Zemeckis. And, and one morning, Tom says, Stephen's coming down. He's coming down to say hi. I said, it's oh, fantastic. So Stephen comes down. Of course, hey, soldier, usual. We have a hug. Um, and, uh, and I think it was like in between takes. And the four of us are just standing. So there's Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Robert Zemeckis, Ross McCall. And we're talking about whatever. Don't even remember what the conversation was, but it was nice and, you know, general, and all very relaxed and chatting and laughing and joking. And then one of the uh, assistant directors comes over and so sorry to interrupt Ross. We need you. We're, we're lining up the next shot. I was like, done. Okay. I'll see you in a minute. Yeah. See you, Stephen. Great to see you. Blah, blah, blah. And as I'm walking away, I literally stop in the middle of a soundstage in Sony studios, in Culver studios. And I just, look back and I just go, what was that? Like, what was that? That is like, that's the dream. The fact yeah. that I've just been stood with those three people who I just, you know, I'm a fan of um, <laughs> and admire. And we were probably talking about, I don't know, cheese, you know? And, uh, and, um, and, and here I am, you know, dressed in a wetsuit with weird dots all over my face, making a, making a movie. It was one of those surreal, wow, I come from, Glasgow and here I am you know it's one of those moments yeah a proper pinch yourself moment that's crazy and it, I guess it only happens because when you're sort of 
I guess when you're standing with them chatting, you've kind of normalized it to the point where you're, you're like, well, I'm just having a conversation with uh, with my work colleagues. But well, then you're, when you're, you're on your a, own. You're having a plate of eggs with them in the morning. I mean, you know, everyone's having craft service. Yeah, it becomes, you know, habitual and normal, and you know. <laughs> So you had that inkling that you were going to work with Spielberg at some point. What, like, is that sort of does that? Is that like self belief? Would you would you categorize that as like in in the same arena as that idea of going? Because I, I I've never I've no doubt that there is a massive amount of self belief required to be an actor. Um, and you know, like the situation you just mentioned, like you know, to be able to sort of like hold your own and not be starstruck and not crumble, like and sort of go. What am I doing here? I've, I feel like an imposter. Um, mm. Is the inkling that you had that you'd work with Spielberg, like I said, like a sort of a knowledge that you were good enough at your craft to ascend to that level? I think, I think ultimately, yes. Like as an adult, I can look at that and go, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And especially, certainly the way you go through life now is, you know, faith, belief, knowing, um, you know, being, doing all of it. As a kid, probably I wasn't that advanced. Uh, there was just sort of like a shrug of the show. It wasn't, it wasn't cockiness or arrogance or any of that. Uh, maybe confidence was there, but I don't know. It was just a gut feeling. Hmm. It was like you know, I mean, I, I, I was the I was the movie buff as a kid. You know, when all my mates were out causing trouble, I would again. I'm, anyone listening to this might have heard this story before. So I apologize, but you know, my, my Fridays and Saturdays while everyone was, you know, being a nuisance in my local city, I used to sneak off and I'd found a way to get to the top of the local, uh, cinema and on top of the roof was very dangerous. <laughs> but on top no, it's, of the roof, I mean, I'm not going to like, sounds terrifying already, but go on. I used to have shimmying up drain pipes, jumping on walls. It was ludicrous but my there was a shed on top uh which was where they did all the electrics i guess from you know the ceiling but I, it was open and i would go in and it was just like floorboards uh and uh and these hot bulbs in the floor and i picked the bulb out and it was the little twinkly lights that were on the ceiling of the cinema and so i figured out i'd put that bulb down i would just lay down and i'd watch the movies through through this hole so i was like like just obsessed with film at a very early age and good film. Like I would certainly, you know, be looking at, you know, Coppola and, and Scorsese and, and Spielberg and Zemeckis and, you know, all these, uh, Brian De Palma. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sort of slightly obsessed with, with, uh, you know, bigger, mm. bigger scale movies. Mm. And even when I was, you know, I, I was doing a play in London at 16 for a year, you know, a Neil Simon play, which was a very fortunate play to do, but I was also terribly lonely because, you know, I'd finish the show and get a train back to my, my parents' house who were obviously in their bed by the time I got home, by the time I got up, everyone had gone to work. So I wouldn't really speak to anybody for hours before I'd have to jump on a train and go back to the theater to do, you know, eight shows a week at 16 for a year, you know, when everybody's out, you know, hooping it up and, and living mm. that sixteen-year-old life. I was in a very disciplined uh, place, and I'm I'm not against it. it. I loved it at the time, but in those moments of of not having, uh, you know, a quote-unquote social agenda, I would collect film. So I would go to like my local video stores and say, "Hey, 
you know, I know of this movie, can we get it? And they're like, well, it's not released for another blah, blah. And I'm like, well, how do we get it? And they would ship it to me and it would, I'd pay extortionate amounts of money for, you know, films that nobody's ever heard of. Um, but I'm like on VHS. Yeah. And I would go home with, you know, three, four videotapes and I loved them. I loved the, you know, the poster on the, the videos and, and I was just obsessed with film. You know, my, my first apartment I ever had, I think, you know, good Lord, I had movie posters all around it. I had uh, Empire Magazine covering the floor, covering my coffee table, Premier Magazine. Um, and so I was just like, I just had a, a healthy obsession. So that was a long way around. But yeah, with Spielberg, because I had this pure love of film, mm -hmm. to me, he was the the pinnacle of what that film world was. And I was just like, I want to work with him. What's amazing is that you sneaking up onto the roof of that cinema, opening the bulb, watching the movie through a hole in the ceiling. That actually sounds like it could be the the, the start of one of Spielberg's Amblin movies. That sounds like it could be the fucking Goonies or yeah, something. Sure. sure. Yeah. That was very much it. That was very much it for me. You know, all those movies, all those, you know, Richard Donner movies, the Goonies. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up with those. I was obsessed with them. But I also, I, I also had a very healthy interest in, in, uh, you know, Scorsese was was the balance for me. So I loved Stevens films. Mm. You know, Indiana Jones was to me Temple of Doom, like blew my mind. I mean, I thought I was Indiana Jones for a good week and a half. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I sort of we're not uh, we're not too dissimilar in age, a few years in it. Uh, but yeah, I was um, I didn't discover the kind of movies you're talking about, the Scorsese's, the Coppola's till much later in life. Like my, my, my childhood, my eighties was Spielberg. Uh, and you know, you know, your big sort of your big pop culture movies, your, your Ghostbusters back yeah. to the future. So yeah, I, that's interesting that you actually spanned both worlds. Cause I mean, those are some adult films for you to be watching what early teens. Well, the one, the, the, the moment it really got me going was uh, I was doing a, I was doing another theater show and we were on tour in the UK and, you know, you were tour away from home and there was always a chaperone with you, you know, like a government approved chaperone. Ludicrous. If you think about it, <laughs> nuts. you know, I'm staying in weird little B and B's with somebody I don't know and other kids. And it's like, what is this madness? Um, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that sounds worse than being on your own, to be honest, a stranger. Oh, for sure. like. for sure. And uh, you know, there's no cell phones at that point. So literally you're calling your mom and dad on a Sunday. Like that's what wow. you're getting in a payphone, you know? And so, you know, you look back on it and you go, what is wrong with all of you? Why didn't, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so uh, I remember being on, being on tour and it was my night off because they had, you know, like three of us kids, mm. but uh, there, was, there was one that would play both roles and you would just rotate it. So, you know, you can only work a certain amount of days when you're a kid. And I remember being 14 years old and my chaperone at the time um, kept talking to me about, she had great film knowledge and she kept talking to me about um, this movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, which was Martin Scorsese had directed Willem Dafoe. And it was this, you know, very risque film at the time. Uh, but one of the kids she used to chaperone had played like one of the archangels on, on this movie. And so she kept talking to me about this Scorsese fella. And uh, she said, on this night off, I think you should come at the cinema and watch this film. And I said, what is it? She says it's called Goodfellas. And I looked at it and I was like, well, it's 18. You know, how am I going to get in there? She goes, don't worry about it. 
And I remember going super nervous and, you know, reasonably blessed now. As a kid, when I was 14, I looked two. You know what I mean? <laughs> a young looking 14 year old. And, um, and I'm like, never going to get in. She's like, shh, just walk in that door. I'm going to get a ticket. She went and got the tickets, took me in, sat down. And I remember, you know, my collar up going on, make sure nobody sees me in case they go, there's a kid watching it. And what unfolded was, you know, the next two and a half hours of cinema culture that just completely bore into my eyeballs in a mm. way that was just un- inexplainable. It, it, it changed my outlook on film. And I remember coming out of that. And that was a moment where, cause I'd done a lot of theater up until that point, apart from little bits of TV here and there. And at that point I was like, I want to make film. That's it. <laughs> There's nothing else that I want to do except that film. And I, beca- I sort of had an unhealthy obsession with, with gangsters. After um, what is an unhealthy obsession with gangsters? Dude, listen, being in the UK, so not even being in New York, right? And being in the UK, I would like, I would, if I got paid for anything, I would go get a suit at like <laughs> 16, 17 years old. I'd be wearing like a single breast suit, crisp white shirt. I had like a bracelet, a pinky ring. It was, I mean, you deserved a punch in the face. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'd be in these, you know, smoking and doing my, you know, and I was just, I, Jimmy Conway to me was, that's actually my pseudonym. Anytime I, you know, not that I always have to do it, but sometimes I have to give different names at hotels and stuff. I've just told everyone, Jimmy Conway. That's <laughs> it's Robert De Niro's character in, in Goodfellas just to me was, you know. And so then I went on that journey and I, I seeked out, you know, every film of that kind of, you know, untouchable Scarface. I really got into De Palma, mm. but then I started looking at French gangster films and, um, started looking at sort of pop culture, French films, Luke Bassi, you know, Nikita and all that kind of stuff I was sort of getting into. And, um, so that, that was all because of a chaperone urging me to watch a film. And did you not want to become part of, you know, there was that, when was it now? It will have been the late nineties when the Brit gangster movie just exploded. Like that, mm. as often happens, Lockstock came out uh, and then everyone was like, this is what we're going to make because this makes money. And so, you know, they varied in quality. I, I'm looking like inside my brain and looking down your CV, as I remember it, I don't think you, I don't think you've made like a, a gangster movie. I did. I've done some American gangster films, right? Uh, you know, the beautiful ones was a gangster film. And mm. uh, I tend to have that sort of vibe, even when I'm hired as like FBI guys, they always want me to be a little bit crooked. Shady, um, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the London Brit thing, I mean, d- to be fair, at the late 90s, I was obsessed too. I, I you know, I, I, I used to get, the, I'd moved back to Scotland when I was at 19, 20 for like a year or so, just to basically get my laundry done and get fed, you know, <laughs> and an actor. Um, and I remember I would have to take the overnight train down from Aberdeen at that point back to London for auditions. Um, but you would get in at like 7 a.m. The audition wouldn't be till like 11. I'd go to the audition and then the night train wasn't, you know, ready again until like 4 or 5 p.m. So I'd have the afternoon off. So I'd go down at Leicester Square and I would go and watch whatever movie I was dying to see. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I remember seeing the Lockstock uh, film when it came out, but honestly, at that point, I was still this skinny you know, young looking wannabe gangster. Right, 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 right. I, I just wouldn't have fit in that world. Even that breaks my heart to say it. Cause at the time I was like, absolutely. That's you know, I could play any of these roles. Um, but, uh, the first film I ever wrote was actually a London gangster film. But again, what you're saying, there was a lot of C class movies, uh, and C versions of those good gangster films. Um, and again, I was spoiled, you know, Long Good Friday and Get Carter and all that originals were the ones that I was into. When I saw Lockstock, I loved the style, the vibe, the music, um, loved it, you know, but I was waiting on that to present itself again. And it just sort of didn't, you know. Um, you have uh, got a, a role in, we had um, your former co-star on Band of Brothers, uh, Mr. Dexter Fletcher. Uh, on the show not that long ago, uh, chatting about his new drama, the making of arguably the greatest gangster movie of all time, uh, The Godfather. So the show's called The Offer. And you, you, you've got a little part in that, haven't you? I do. I play uh, FBI agent Moran. They they called and said, look, here's a deal. We're trying to, you know, get people who get what this show is to come in and play a little bit. Uh, I was in LA. I was just wrapping a, a Apple TV show I was doing with Uma Thurman. Well, I was a big fan of Pulp Fiction, of course. Like that just blew my mind that I got to do all this work with Uma. But anyway, um, uh, how was that? We should, that? That sounds fun. Oh, it's great. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Again, same thing. It was that same period. I had the Pulp Fiction poster in yeah. my apartment, you know, with Uma on it. That was that was my thing. So yeah, she's a, adorable, and we had a great time. Uh, but you know, Dex was like come and play with Miles Teller and Juno Temple and you and, and Kirk from Banner Brothers who played toy. So, you know, the, th- the four of us just went, yeah, we could do this. And we went and we had a ball and I'm a massive Godfather fan. Again, that show, everybody auditioned for and everybody would have given their left arm just to sort of be a part of the making of the Godfather. However, mm-hmm. however that show pans out uh, to me, you know, Robert Evans was, uh, those who don't know him, he was one of the main producers. Um, but he was ahead of Paramount at that point. And I've 
had a again some some would say a healthy obsession with with Robert Evans. I bought his sunglasses and everything. It gets crazy. Um, you can see I've got. I got um, but uh, you know, so so I'd said that to Dex. I, you know, Paramount Lot is one of my favorites in LA. I've I've walked around it many many times. And I would go visit Robert Evans's office. Uh, Evans actually produced the movie that I did uh, three years ago, just before he died. Um, so I was I was really intrigued with what this story was, and to get to work with Dexter is just so much fun. He's you know he's my comrade, so it was awesome. Yeah, it's weird that you say that because obviously, I mean, on Band of Brothers, I, I imagine. I imagine you formed like like when you were saying about everyone standing around smoking. There must have been a real camaraderie that was formed between all of you uh, because of the nature of the show that you're making. I mean, obviously, on the one hand, you do have this sort of brutality of war that the show, uh, you know, showed. Uh, but then you do have this sort of the, the relationships of the soldiers, and I'm guessing you've stayed friends afterwards, having had that experience and the, and the boot camp that you went through together, the physical training that you had to do for that movie. Yeah, you know, there were many walls for everybody to break down and, you know, egos got pushed aside and, uh, you know, actor ethics got tossed out. And um, again, it was about that legacy of of the real men and we all took it so seriously, but had a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, there is a there's a bond there that is very unusual. You know, you do a movie and you become like a small family anyway. But really, when that movie's done, you know, it's 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 like any walk of life. You know, you mm. bond with people, but then it's, you know, all right, see ya. Um, and with band, there is, you know, uh, I often I often laugh and, and tell people if if any of us guys, and you know, that there's probably a group of us that I'd say like 10 or 12 guys that were the main guys of band, right? Mm. There's probably about 10 or 12 of us. Um, and within that, you know, everybody's super close, but within that there's little pockets of real close bonds. I mean, there's, there's two or three of the guys that I text with every week, you know, and we see whenever we can. And, you know, it's a real brotherhood. It's a real, real brotherhood. It's support. It's, um, but the joke is, you know, if, if you walk in anywhere and one of the boys is there, whoever you're with and whoever they're with, we actually have to apologize and go, look, I'm just letting you know, you're welcome to hang out. And say this will either get really boring for you really quickly because all we're gonna do is go over stories. Uh, but also this is it now for the night. This is it. You know, and, and we talk about it after me and Scott Grimes sort of joke about that who played Malarkey. You know, we we were drinking the same boozer in LA and um, you know, every now and again we would just randomly run into each other and that was it, you know, game mm -hmm. over. Whoever was with us were just like all right, we have to get in with it. Or <laughs> yeah, it sounds like just. I mean, you know, having done a bit of reading around that that whole the the, the boot camp that you went to with um, oh, what's the guy's name? Dale Dick, Dick Dale Dye. Yeah, yeah. So like having going through that like sounds like a fairly intense and um, bond building exercise. Yeah, and no, again, I'm repeating myself, but you know, the the genius move from the producers of Banner Brothers was that boot camp. And and I've often said, you know, uh, Tom, Stephen, Meg Lieberman, who uh, cast it, uh, and Angela Terry, <clears throat> who cast alongside, um, and Suzanne Smith, and, you know, the list goes on of, of amazing casting directors. Um, 
who all had their hand in it, but also Tony Toe was our on on the ground producer uh, and Captain Dyke. You know, those were the people that that made band what it is because mm. that boot camp had solidified such a intense brotherhood that you could see it on screen. And also it taught us everything. So there was no need to ever get somebody in. You know, if you were firing your your M1 and during a take and, you know, either your rifle jams or you run out of ammo and it pops out, you knew how to get the next one, boom, boom, you know, and you just do it. You know, you would unload something that was blocked and you would just do it instead of, car, 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 we need the gun guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get gun guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need a hand grenade specialist. Ah! <laughs> uh, so there was none of that. And it, it was incredible because we knew how to soldier, you know? Yeah. And that sounds fickle. And I would, and I've said this to, to our brothers and sisters in the armed forces, listen, I'm, I'm not by any stretch saying, yeah, I, I know what boot camp is because they go through it for months. But they put us through a very, very intense couple of weeks, um, which we also joke about. Some people go, yeah, it was five days. And people go, no, it was there three months. It was somewhere in between. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was like you know, 10, 12, 14 days, something like that. Um, but uh, a very, very uh, heavy, but wonderful, wonderful, life-changing experience. And that's what created the show. You know, that. And it's a hell of a show. A hell of a show. Um, so let's let's touch on something that I mentioned earlier. And again, trailer dropped yesterday about us. So do you want to tell people what it's about? Because I, I mean, I've got I've got a sentence, but I mean, I I I don't know. It, it feels weird if I sort of say what it's what it's about because I only know what I've I've read the one sentence pitch, which sounds intriguing. So I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you tell me what it's about because also you know I, I'd be an idiot not to. You wrote it. This is this is not your first screenplay. I'm taking. I'm taking it. When did you start writing? First of all, uh, I've I started writing years and years ago. Um, mm. As uh, and, and my first film. I mean, it's funny that you talked about Lockstock. Like a lot of the producers, like um, I think Chris Evans. Remember the DJ Chris Evans? I'm sure he's still around. Uh, but yes, he had, he had a production company, and they were doing the Lockstock TV show. Um, and I'd written a film uh, that they had got hold of and uh, almost got into production and then just never did. But again, I think I was just too young and, and not quite sure of how it was done. So, you know, I've been dabbling in writing for many years. And then in the States, I've, I've actually sold, I've sold three TV shows to, um, to the networks out there, although none have been produced as of yet. Um, mm. But, you know, had them optioned and, Got them in, you know, one at ABC, one at Warner Brothers, uh, one at uh, Wonderland Sound and Vision. So, you wow. know. Yeah. So, so are they still bubbling away out there then? One of them came back to a bubbling away, but, you know, wow. we'll probably end up um, tweaking them. And, you know, writing's a strange thing. You, you do, you grow with it, you know. And mm. Over the years, I'll go back and I'll look at some stuff and go, <laughs> that, that needs a little work there, Roscoe. Maybe you pulled the trigger too quickly there, son. Um, uh, yeah, but and- you got to get it out of there, right? Because sure. you know you can. Yeah, I've I've done a little bit of writing myself, so like you can. Uh, I mean, you can get lost in all the all it's the pointless f- sitting in a drawer. Advice. I mean, right, exactly. You know, all I would say to anyone out there is just force yourself to do it and get mm. it finished. Yeah, leaving an unfinished screenplay points. 
So, uh, so I've, you know, I've been dabbling in it for a while and had reasonable success. And so I wrote about us, um, for many reasons really, but it's, and, and this is what's interesting. Like my fan base, I've, I've explained to them, I mean, I've done a lot of romantic comedies before and I don't always play the bad guy. You know, I, I, I do the, uh, romantic lead sometimes here and there. Um, but about us is, is a drama. Uh, and you know, there's no car chases, there's no guns, there's none of that, but it's a node to cinema for, for me and our director, who's a, one of my best friends, Stefan Schwartz and mm. Stefan and I have done, I think I've done more television, more episodic television with Stefan than any other director. I mean, I'm, I think we've done probably about 15 hours of TV together. Wow. I know like, that you did the fear the walking dead together. That was one of, that was one of the things you worked on together, right? We were walking dead. We did a ton of episodes of crash, uh, white collar Luther. Um, we've just finished this Apple TV show, uh, called, uh, I think it's called suspicion at this point. Um, that Stefan and Chris Long, two, two directors, but yeah, Steph's like one of my dearest friends and we work, we, we collaborate very well together. And so we had been talking about making, uh, a small intimate film that was based in a reality that both men and women could watch and perhaps gain something from, or recognize something from themselves with it. Right. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the original idea. We wanted to keep it small. We wanted to keep it intimate. My whole MO was like, I want to do a film where there's only three characters and could I do it? And so, uh, we were originally going to shoot in Provence, which is where he lives in South of France. Um, but as time went on and as, as I started to develop the idea for the script, once I had the basis of the story, I, I wrote it relatively quickly and, and, and I asked people to, to go easy with me here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy and I really do believe that sometimes ideas, uh, intuitiveness comes from somewhere. And sometimes you're sort of struck with a little bit of a lightning bolt and you sort of react to that. And the next thing you know, something is flowing through you, whether that's writing a song, whether that's singing a song, whether that's painting, whether that's playing football, whatever that is. Mm. And so once I had like the idea of, of, of the movie and especially where it was going to, how it was going to end. Once I knew that it just went off in my head and words flowed, you know, I can't explain it. I sat there and I typed sentences that I've never uttered. So how Um, long, how long was the process then? How long did you actually write? Well, for the, the, the writing from start to finish script wise, it probably a couple of months wasn't long. Wasn't long, okay. but, wow. but throughout the whole period, probably about a year of thinking about it, getting a little bit here and there, less than a year, but you know, the actual process of writing came pretty quick. Um, and, uh, and we just knew from reading it, we went, this is really special. Like it's a really special, uh, feeling. And so we tested it out and we sent it to a few friends of ours, but I on purpose sent it to friends of mine that probably weren't your atypical audience for a film that's based in, I use the word romance lightly. It's not like, you know, it's about life and it's about uh, some people understand it and some people don't understand it. Um, But people will, will, will recognize something from, I think my dog's trying to get in. That's the door. That's fun. I'm a dog owner. I can, I can handle a dog. Yeah. 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 What what is he? This is easy and it's a she, but there she is. 
Hello. <laughs> oh, she's lovely. Submission, me. So she wanted to come in and sit down. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so about us, uh, we we started sending it out, and I sent it to a lot of my tough New York friends. I sent it to, uh, you know, I'll name drop. You know, I sent it to Charlie Hunnam from people remember him from Sons of Anarchy, and yeah, know, of course. But Charlie's one of my dearest friends, and and he was actually very involved in in when we were putting the film together. You know, he was in tears on a flight when he read it. Um, my buddies from Banner Brothers, you know, Jimmy Matteo, uh, Frank John Hughes, two tough Bronx kids, um, you know, both had that same effect. Like it was affecting men in a way that they were like, oh, I don't, I, I don't, I just, I see it. I see my wife in this role, but I also see myself mm. in her a little bit. And I see, and so then I started handing it out to, to female friends who were all coming back with the same reaction saying, I've said that to my husband or that's happened from, and, and not just the guy and the girl like they were recognizing themselves in my character and recognizing themselves in the female characters. That's um, so weird. Cause I mean, I've only seen the trailer so far, obviously I haven't uh, had a chance to watch the movie, but I watched the trailer and I immediately had that reaction. There's a bit in the trailer where uh, your character goes, uh, goes, uh, I think, um, I think your wife for you, but just, uh, I don't think we've said what it's about. It's, it's, a, it's a couple who've gone back to where they spent their honeymoon eight years after their honeymoon to try and fix their, their marriage, which is going through a tough time. But the bit that struck me was um, where she's saying, maybe we should talk about this, you know, what, you know, and your character goes, um, uh, <laughs> why don't you bottle it up? It works for me. It's what I do. And I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. what, that's what I, that, I've said those yeah. words. I've gone, I've gone, we don't need to talk about it because I don't need to talk about it because I just bottle it up. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that whole thing. It's like, you know, men, we tend to go, we don't need to talk about everything. We don't need to talk about every feeling because everyone has feelings. Mm. And, you know, a lot of this has come from my own life. You know, a lot of it's come from relationships I've been in. It's also come from relationships I've witnessed other people have. Um, and so it, it's, it is that thing where we all look at a part of ourselves. Um, and, and, and that's really, yeah. I mean, look, even the, the one liner that you've said it is, it's a, a married couple that are going through a breakup essentially. Mm. and have decided to take one last ditch effort to go back and revisit their honeymoon, their area. Sorry, it's my father coughing now. It's like, That's all right, man. The, the noise we have going on, this is, this is what happened. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so it's about them going back to revisit their, their honeymoon that they took in Italy. Mm. And so it's this beautiful love letter to Italy, but it's also a beautiful love letter to, and it's not just relationships, because I know that can go, I'm not watching a film about relationships it's about the human experience and and whether that's heartbreak or arguments or banging your head against the wall um truth start getting revealed within the story where you start to realize actually where they went off the rails and it's not just a, oh, it's a couple breaking up there's there's a lot of deeper meaning in there mm. and so uh anybody who's experienced any uh you know, true heartbreak, not just romantic heartbreak, but in life, loss, love, whatever it is, it's all in there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just imploring people to, like I said, it is a throwback to, to the movies that I've always wanted to make, which take a little bit of time. You know, it, it, it doesn't, you're not in it straight away. You've got to give it a good 20 minutes to sort of feel, okay, why am I watching them? Why? And, and all I say is stick with it. And the payoff 
across the board from all our test screenings. Um, and I say this with love in my heart and complete humility. Everybody's affected by the film and they come out afterwards and are just, um, and it's, it's not just a tearjerker, which it is. There's a lot of emotion in there, but everybody comes out just going, you know, I had agents in Hollywood who, who, who saw it, who left work and more than one person left the agency during the day when they screened it to go home and kiss their wife. <laughs> like literally like said, I've got to go home and just tell my wife I love. Wow. And, and, you know, and so it's got that thing of, of this, it's just, it's a lovely story that just came from somewhere that we're not sure of. Um, but it's, it really plays. It's beautifully shot. Our DP is this Italian genius. And so, uh, the, I was going to say Italy must be very happy because it looks gorgeous. It's stunning. And, 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 you know, look, a lot of that is we had to fight for that because, you know, you, you tend to go, it's a very small budget as well. And so <clears> you'll be surprised. I mean, when you watch it, it looks like a, a, a $10 million film. You know, I've, I've got a lot of friends I'm really grateful for that helped out in many, many ways uh, because they believed in the project. And, and, you know, we had to fight for certain locations because, you know, the budget stretches a certain way and they're like, Oh, just shoot in the producer's swimming pool. And we're like, yeah, no, no, let's, uh, let's go find what we need to find and we'll, we'll figure it out. And we did. And, and, uh, we're ecstatic. So it actually comes out in the U S on Friday. Uh, I was led to believe we were going to do the UK, uh, premiere at the same time, which we're, we're now not, I think it's a month later. So, oh, okay. So okay, I won't tell people. I was going to tell everyone it's out next week, but it's not. Well, so I mean, well, you still can because it's going to be on all those platforms. So if they have access to the American version of those platforms, right, 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 right. It. Um, it's in the cinemas uh, in the US as well. We've got 10 cities, which is, you know, sort of a vanity thing, but it's so fortunate that it gets to be seen in the theater. But it's one of those things I would implore, you know, wives to make your husbands watch, you know, <laughs> fellas, take your girlfriends too. It's it's a real eye opener for couple therapy in a way. It looks it does. The trailer does a really good job of making it a, a very intriguing premise to sort of find out exactly what's going on. And like you say, it's just it's a triple header. There's just the three of you in yeah. this. There's uh, Alison Miller, uh, Alessandra Mastronardi, and yourself. That's right. It's just the three of us, um, and it's uh, it's just an ode to uh, to you know old fashioned filmmaking, but it has a lot a lot of heart. It has a lot of heart and it's, um, yeah, we're excited. We're excited to show the world because it's, it's been, you know, look, we're also in, in this age where the Avengers take over the movie space. Yeah, yeah. And so what we're hoping for is just that word of mouth because we have our distribution arm. So it's all up and it's all ready and it's all going to go out there, but we, we hope people are enticed to click on the button and buy the film. You know, the only way we get to make these movies is if people watch them. Um, and so we hope that people will watch them, have a reaction to it and, and hopefully, um, go out there and tell everybody. And it's funny, you talked about the trailer cause it was so tricky because once you see the movie, you'll understand why I say that it was tricky to be able to show a trailer that's given you enough. Yeah. Because there's so many little revelations throughout the film that if we put them in the trailer it would give the movie away. And so it's like, we had to find a real balance of going, okay, Let's make this at least be enough to entice you to go. I'm interested. Um, and as a, uh, as a trailer fan, you see, like, I, I have friends um, 
who will not watch trailers, which I really respect. I, I think it's it's a fantastic way to go into a film cold without having seen a trailer. I can't do it. I'm a trailer addict. So I, I will watch the trailer. But I did sort of, I got that vibe from it. It was, there. it leans ever so close to a, a reveal, but it does that smart thing that the best trailers do, which is you go, no, I don't know. I don't know. Because too many, I mean, you know, as I'm sure you've encountered over your career, you know, there is a thinking that people have actually said this. People at studios have actually gone, people will not go and see a movie if they don't know what's going to happen in the movie. So we have to tell them what's going to happen in the trailer. My God. I mean, it's it, honestly, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle. You're right. That we have even with scripts and, um, you know, TV slightly worse, you know, you have to over explain everything and you're like, God, it'd just be great if we trusted the audience are smarter than you guys think, <laughs> you know, people yeah. like to sort of know, Oh, okay. I can figure this out. Um, uh, but yeah, I would, I would love to talk more once the, once the movie's out, because I oh, think yeah. it's one of those, those films that, uh, it's funny. I've, I've, I've had people at screenings kind of say, you know, at the end, there's a silence. The people have a reaction to it one way or the other. And, um, we'll say, you know, is there any, any questions? Is there anything that we could maybe fix to be clearer or, or whatever? And a lot of people have sort of turned around and said, um, they've turned around and said, I had all these questions in my head going, well, hold on. Well, hold on. And then by the end it was all answered. So it's like, it's great to sort of know that there's a journey that it takes you on. It's not just yeah. simply we're watching two people talk about their marriage. Cause obviously mm. that's going to be a boring film. You know, mm. it's, it's two people taking the journey and, you know, unraveling what, what's transpired in their lives. Yeah. That's what you want from a, a test screening. No notes. We have no notes. That's great. Yeah. I, I think it's funny that you've had to say to some of your regular fans, listen, this is, this is a bit of a sharp right from what you used to see me in. But I, I guess for those fans, then, you know, coming up like, you know, in the distance is your first directing gig, which might be, you know, I'm not saying they more. shouldn't go watch about us, but if they, uh, if they're like, no, I want Ross to do what I know Ross does. Then I, uh, your prison drama yeah. is uh, that's, are you shooting yet? We're done. We're done. done. Yeah, it's going to be, we'll probably have a trailer for that uh, within the coming months. Um, we are almost fully locked picture. I mean, you know, just to, to, to bore the, the, uh, the folks out there, you know, once you've done the film, you know, you need it color corrected, and you need mm. the sound design and you need the sound lock and blah, 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 blah. So we're literally on the last throws now. We've just finished uh, the effects that we needed to put in. Uh, it's done. You directed uh, it though. Are you, are you, I mean, this is your first, this is definitely your first uh, directing gig, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I came on the, on the heels of us uh, about us and I, I wrote uh, not too far apart and essentially one's probably about love and the other one's about self-hate. So I really right. wanted to do this, this juxtaposition of both. And I wanted my dream was to have them both come out in the same year. And I think that's going to happen which I'm super excited about. I think in the last quarter, Vertigo in the UK uh, are releasing it. So they are a distribution arm um, and they've done, you know, mammoth, they've had mammoth success this in the past two, three years. I think they're the number one distribution company in the UK right now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get that out to everybody soon. But again, it's, it's, it's a different 
kind of <laughs> it's a different kind of film. We've got some of the Lockstock boys there. You know, Dexter came down to set and hung out. Oh, with Lovely, yeah. Um, Jason, Jason Fleming, yeah. I love Jason. Jason's great. Uh, we've got a lot of faces. We've got uh, you know Craig Fairbrass, mm-hmm. who uh, again, I I tell you what, Craig's a Craig's a powerhouse in this film, and Craig knows this. You know, I think the past few years he's trying to change his angle of what he wants to do because he probably got suckered into a lot of those films that perhaps weren't showcasing his talents. Uh, and so, God bless him, he trusted me to sort of come at him a different way and say, "No, we're going to play this a little differently uh, and do it a little differently." So it's 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 pretty stylized. Um, uh, Stephen oh, Bula. Who we have. So why this movie for you as a director though? Like why was this the right film for you to go, look, you know what? I'm this is the one where I, I, I'm gonna direct it. Well, originally it was set up, uh, we were gonna do it in the States and we were gonna do an American version of it, um originally. Um, and I was gonna be playing the uh, one of the main roles. Um and I just I knew that I knew that if I had, and there were two other directors attached. That's at various points. And I just knew that I had so many ideas of how this film should be shot. Much like about us, where I only gave me three characters in Ire, the, we never leave the cell. So the whole movie takes place within a prison cell, takes place over 12 months. So it's not, you know, it's not a continuous clock, but it takes place over 12 months. Um, but I wanted to see if I could pull off a film where we don't leave. So as the audience, you're getting the experience of essentially being in prison, um, which, you know, on the offset, that sounds like a horrible idea, but it, it's, uh, it's not claustrophobic, but it does keep you within that world and hopefully is a you know fantastic deterrent for, for anybody wanting to go to prison. But I wanted to show what real prison life is mm-hmm. in film. I'm a huge fan of amazing prison films. You know, Shawshank, uh, Cool Hand Luke's one of my favorite films, uh, you know, way back when. Anyone haven't seen that Paul Newman film, go see it. Uh, Papillon, the original. I mean, I'm a massive prison film fan, but I didn't feel that I'd seen anything that was really depicting what prison was. Um, and so I wanted to do that in an artistic way. And I just thought hey, I'll, I'll be a pain in the ass to any other director because, you know, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and so one of the producers, Bart, and this is another Banner Brothers connection. Uh, uh, Bart was an actor for many years and is now a, a wonderful producer. Uh, but he came to me and he was like, "You should direct this." And I said, "I think I should too." And he's like, "I can finance it with you directing. I can go and get the finance." Um, and part of the deal was I you know, I have to appear in it. And so I'm in it as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just thought writing and directing, why not? Let's, let's, that's, that. um, that's great. And I, I, I mean, like and when something like that comes along, do you, do you need, I mean, when people are going to go, yeah, we'll invest in this and Ross is directing and this is just like your first feature as a director. Do you need, do you have to like go in the room and convince them and like explain why you are the right person to direct this bearing in mind, it's your first movie. I think it helped that I wrote the script. Mm. Um, so with that, we also had about us to show people, which even though, you know, of course that Stefan directed it, but I had a, I had a very loud voice in that film. <laughs> Stefan knows and accepts that and is supportive of that. Um, I was also, you know, 
heavily in the edit. Uh, and so I think we had that as a template to go, look, the kind, the kind of films that I'm wanting to make are slightly old fashioned. You know, they are like, I mean, on IR, we shoot it on lenses from the seventies, you know, the, the, the Godfather was shot on and, um, you know, although even the Joker now, you know, last year they shot on these lenses. And so we wanted that look, we wanted that sort of oldie, but beautiful. But, uh, that look. explains why the trailer looks the way it does then. That makes a lot right. of sense. Right. And so, uh, so we wanted that as well. So, so we've shown that and we've shown uh, you know, we had a template and I guess you still need to do a director's statement. You have to, you know, let them know how you wanted to shoot it. And with Ayer, it's a very heavy, uh, heavy story on the page. Um, but I wasn't really interested in any gratuitous violence or, um, you know, it was already on the page. It was already mm. dark on the page. So I wanted it to look cinematic and stunning. You know, it's very wide, like, you know, even though we're in this box, essentially it's very wide. And it's a lot of, you know, our production designers made a stunning set and it just looks incredible. And the colors of my DP is a, a, a buddy of mine who has shot like three movies that I've acted in over the years, a German guy called Stefan Kupik, who's just, you know, he was a, he was a second camera guy on Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, he's, you know, if you remember that, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a fantastic eye and between us both, uh, yeah, I, ju I just, I, I went in with a team and I think that team allowed us to, to get the film made. You know, we, we, we had like, you know, the gaffer from Star Wars. I mean, we just had the greatest crew imaginable for, for a film of, of that scale, you know? Um, and they were very kind and were supportive and knew what my vision was and they jumped on board. So. Hell of a year, man. You're having a hell of a year. This is uh, this is great stuff. So um, about us in the UK, in, in the US from Friday streaming and in cinemas, and then about a month away for UK audiences. That's right. That's exactly what we're going for. It's going to, probably going to be around uh, September time for UK, but it, it's going to be on demand. It's going to be that same thing. All the, you know, iTunes, Amazon, Voodoo, Google Play, uh, Redbox, who else we've got? Microsoft, PlayStation, or, you know, the regulars. Yeah. Um, we want to obviously do that first. People are always saying, what about Netflix? What about Netflix? Netflix, just to let people know, for independent film, it's a tough place, Netflix, because what they do is they, they offer you a little bit of dough, but it's nowhere near your budget. And, you know, you, you want to try and make your budget back for your investors so that you can make more film and you want a success. Somewhere like Netflix, you sort of have to sign it off for a couple of years and they get free play. And unless they promote it on their homepage, mm. which is rare unless it's a Netflix film or if it's yep. Joker or <clears throat> studio film, you, you kind of get lost in the shuffle. And so we don't want to get lost in the shuffle. So we, we really want people to be able to have a chance to see it and, and then really, you know, hopefully like it. And if you buy my movie, I promise you, if you run into me, I'll buy you a beer. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's a nice bit of marketing. I like that. That's brilliant. So you must be a happy man right now with all this going on. A couple of movies coming out in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a fantastic year and, we got the two TV shows coming out probably by the end of this year or at mm. least next year. And, uh, um, yeah, things are, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate and very grateful and, um, just excited to show, to show people the films, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. 
I'm excited to see both of them. And you know, if you're not if you if you don't watch trailers, I'm not telling you to watch the About Us trailer. But if you do want your appetite wet uh, for this movie, then I would suggest looking at it because it looks stunning and it looks intriguing and it's you know it works as a trailer. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see the movie. Hey, I um, the movie is is ten times what the trailer is. So if you're enticed by the trailer, you're going to love the film. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to love the film then. Um, Ross McCall, it's you know, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Thank you for your time. And um, thanks for introducing me to your dog as well. Easy. <laughs> She's, She's lovely. She's just a total relaxed time. Just total. <laughs> you see, you have the dream dog. I have a whippet called Simon, who, um, who thankfully is somewhere else right now, because when he's in the room, he's just like, yo, what are you doing? Are you doing Simon. an interview? Simon yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's Simon's brilliant. Amazing. I love him, but you know, he's Good not, he, he's not an easy dog, an easy dog. Hey, um, thank you for your time, Ross, and uh, have a great rest of your day and good luck with the movies. Thanks so much, mate. I appreciate your time and hi to everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more.